Welcome to Deep CV Diving, a podcast where I dive deep into the CVs of industry leaders to find the pearls of wisdom to help you in your career. I'm your host, Graham Seldon, and as an executive recruiter and career coach with over 25 years experience, I've conducted thousands of interviews and I never get bored. And that's because by carefully asking the right questions and being interested in people's stories, no interview is ever the same. And there is often much to learn about what drives leaders in our field. After each recording, I reflect on some of the most salient points in the interview and go back and take a deep dive into what they've said. With each guest, I explore what steps did they take to get where they are now, what advice would they give to their younger selves, and how have they navigated the highly political and competitive businesses they work in. Let's dive deep and find out. My guest in this episode is Richard Kahinga, an entrepreneurial sales and marketing leader who has spent the last 25 years working in professional services. He was with KPMG for 17 years in Australia and the Middle East, before joining a legal talent on demand firm Plexus in 2018, first as commercial director and now under the acquisition from Axiom as general manager Australia. His focus throughout his career has been in driving business growth, either by using a wealth of sales and marketing skills to promote existing services or to work with the business to develop new products and services to clients. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. Graham, great to see you again. Now, as I've said, your career journey has taken you from Australia to the Middle East and back to Australia. You've worked with global firm KPMG. You then went to work for a startup um, you're now back working with the global firm. But before we get into all the nuances of that, I'm really keen to start at the very beginning. And most people think their career starts when they do their degree. And, you know, what do they do post-degree? You did an arts, literature and political science degree. What did you want to be? I did. It was a while ago now. I, look, I was interested in words and big ideas. I probably want to be a, wanted to be a journalist, if uh, the truth be known. Uh, but I was lucky in that I finished my degree on exchange to Virginia Tech in the, in, in the States. And they, for, for some reason, they put me in this dormitory with PhD rocket scientists. And they were, and I was totally fish out of water there, but they, you know, they were hatching big ideas about how to, you know, put rockets on Mars. And I, I often reflect back on that because innovation, technology, how to do things better, has always been in the back of my mind for, you know, the different roles that I've been lucky enough to step into, and I wonder whether that was an influence. Did you ever find yourself hearing yourself say it's not rocket science and sort of quietly smiling to yourself? I I, I have um, I have done that. And it's a, it's a bit of a brag, isn't it, to say that you work with rocket scientists. But the funny thing about rocket scientists uh, is their, their, their ability to focus. So they are incredibly... Uh, specialised in the way they can look at big problems, but they can also be really dumb in something that might be quite obvious to someone else. And so when I've, I've worked with some super smart people and I've often had that in the back of my mind as well, just yeah. because someone's really smart at one thing doesn't mean that they're smart at everything. Yeah. So you came back from your study and what was your first real job? Like what did you get into first? It was it was media management, so I didn't become a journalist. I became I was the other side, which was managing journalists or certainly encouraging them to take take up um, you know, story ideas, proactive media and crisis management uh, in GE, then in, then in government. 
Uh, and again, you know, you never know where things lead you. Yeah, that anyone who's who's in who's, who's got that background, they know that there's a sales element to it, right? You're mm. pitching ideas. You're reaching out to, to you know to, to TV networks and news newspaper editors, suggesting this is a take that you you know you should run with. And again, it's really that was an incredibly valuable skill mm. that I was able to deploy in areas I never thought I would, but it's a sales skill. How did it take you to KPMG? Well, I, often those communication units are embedded in marketing teams, right? Mm -hmm. So marketing comms. And I looked across the fence at the marketers who I, was, who I was working with. Comms people can often be tactically brilliant, but the marketing people can be a little bit more structured project management in their approach. And I admired that. So I did a master's degree in marketing and became a marketer. Mm -hmm. And so then when I... Uh, it was that background. Um, I was you know, presented with the opportunity to join a pursuits team at KPMG. So that's how I joined KPMG was in proposals writing. When when you joined KPMG in two thousand and one, did you imagine for a moment that you would be there for seventeen years? <laughs> it's a long time, Graham. When you put it like that, obviously, as a child genius, right? I started my career. At 13 or 14 or something. Uh, <laughs> no, look, I, I, I didn't. and I, But it, it was the perfect place for me because I'd worked in financial services, which very commercial, very money orientated, and then government, which was very, um, you know, people who were really passionate about what they were doing. And KPMG brought the, the best of those two things together for me. I worked with people who were really passionate about what they were doing, but just so professional and so skilled at it. You've been in, in, in seven years at the beginning of your career, you'd started off in communications and media. You'd then done a master in marketing, you'd moved into more of a marketing role, and then you joined KPMG in pursuits, which is, is very sales. Already in that seven years, you'd sort of tried your hands or started to try your hand at a few things. Were, were you at that time, if you can remember, were you um, really conscious of what you wanted to be or were you really just organically going after the things that looked good at the time? I, I think the key word is open. Mm -hmm. So, so I was very open-minded about uh, you know what the what the world could offer and what doors I could step through. Uh, and then you, you you do look at you know the, the the world through different lenses, and one of them was well, wouldn't it be great to travel a global organisation in 155 countries? That would probably open up some opportunities. So. I'd spent some time overseas. So, um, and it was also the way it was pitched in. I think it's right. Those pursuits role, if you have a communications background, so you can craft messages, but you have a marketing background, so you can, you know, design strategy, you pull those two things together and you're really well placed mm. to, to, to help in that pursuit space, which, you know, proved to be the case. And you were, you were with them for a decade in Melbourne. Melbourne's one of the most amazing cities, as, as, as we know. I'm, I'm from Melbourne. But you then transferred, and I find this remarkable, you transferred to Bahrain and Qatar. And they were not places at that time that were very common places for people to go and often have an expat sort of career. And so why did you go with KPMG to Bahrain and Qatar? What, what, how did that even manifest itself? I think I was, I, I ha, well, I've got a great wife, you know, I think that's the first thing. And we had, uh, there was an opportunity in New Zealand that we had thought about. And she said, well, but Australia and New Zealand, they're quite similar, aren't they? It didn't bring the 
the, the, the different type of cultural experiences she was after. Then I did a, I did a stint in Hong Kong. I don't know if I've mentioned that, but I, I was seconded to Hong Kong with KPMG to, to redesign the, their pursuits practice over there. Mm-hmm. And we got a flavour for working in different cultures and with people, you know, with different backgrounds. So when this opportunity presented itself, uh, it was funny, I was speaking to the, the office managing partner at the time in Melbourne. He said, look, go and have a treat it as a sabbatical. That was, his, that was his language. He said, go over there, learn a few things, and we'll see you in 12 months. And, and so it was a tremendous, and, and, and I was continued to be employed by the Melbourne office. So KPMG was so supportive of creating opportunities, you know, for, for, for their people. And, and so there was, I know it might sound a bit risky now, but I didn't actually see it as risky at the time. I actually saw it as an opportunity to do to a whole lot of things that maybe I, I, life wouldn't have given me else otherwise. Certainly back then, I know KPMG is different now, but back then a lot of the support, and I was the, the, the Melbourne, you know, sales and marketing guy, but a lot of the roles were quite supportive of the, 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 the professionals who are out there earning revenue and, and building out the business. And you did feel like you're in a support role rather than being a direct contributor. Right. So when I caught up with the managing partner in the Middle East, he said, no, no, you're, you're full-time out, um, you know, walking, walking the corridors of our clients and, and we see you, um, you know, growing your career that way. And I said, great. Let's take our first deep dive here. I want to reflect on the reasons why he decided to uproot his and his family's life to move from Melbourne to Bahrain. His approach is one I applaud, in that he backed himself. He saw it as a sabbatical, not a forever move, and it paid off for his career, not just in terms of working with different cultures, but also in having his role fast-tracked from a support role to a client engagement role, something that would have taken him longer to achieve at that time in Australia. When working with candidates who are looking at overseas opportunities, we always encourage them to look beyond the job description and have faith that your life and career can be enhanced just by being somewhere new and different. Let's return to the interview to hear how he got on. So how was the Middle East? I mean, you got there. I mean, I've never been, so I can't really imagine, but you've left Melbourne and you arrive in the Middle East, you're charged with the responsibility of helping them build out a BD and marketing function and, and a sales function. How do you even begin to start doing that? Like, what did you do to, to begin that, that journey? <laughs> I should write a book because Please. it was, <laughs> I really should because it's such a fascinating part of the world, not only because, uh, you know, the the you know, Muslim people are wonderful people, interesting people. Um, you know, the, the the people who come across from 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 India and, and the subcontinent, and of course the wonderful Levant communities. So, so you're just engaging with these fascinating communities who taught you so much about the world. But on top of that, you had had these various American and Australian and European expats all in this melting pot trying to transform these you know these these new nation states, um, and I actually shifted. I was working in Bahrain, but I lived uh, in Qatar, where the World Cups has been held. Uh, and life-changing opportunity, Graham, because of the the projects that we were able to work on and support. Uh, and the the the, op- the funny thing about uh, I was reflecting on this when I got back. 
the difference between the developing world and the developed world is their appetite for um, to adopt innovation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where they can leapfrog uh, developed nations. Because I would say to them, hey, there's this thing that they, because I got the, the opportunity to travel to 20 or 30 countries while I was there, right, with KPMG. And I'd say, look, they're doing this thing in Germany. They'd say, great, let's do it. Let's roll it out. Um, cut, cut me a check. And there, were, there was this, this openness mm. to, which, which is actually odd because some people would, you know, might, might think that the Middle East is a very conservative place and perhaps in some ways it is. But um, certainly in terms of their business community, really open to new ideas. Mm. And I found myself in the perfect place because there were, uh, you know, there was technologies and there was business practices, you know, that, that you know, global best practices that we could roll out to, you know, some wonderfully um, open-minded CEOs. Were there any challenges? I mean, I'm sure there were, but are there any that stick out for you now, now that you've been back a while? Were, were there any times when you just thought this is too hard, I can't do this, or this is really outside my comfort zone? Nearly every day. So, so the, the, it's interesting, a lot of Western expats, they would roll in and roll out within two years. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they would find it would took tremendous uh, resilience to be able to navigate uh, these different cultures and different ways of doing things. Not that I'm trying to make out I'm, I'm the super resilient person, but maybe I was really lucky in life because I travelled a lot as a kid. My dad had different jobs. We travelled right around Australia and New Zealand. I went to, what, I don't know, 10 plus schools. And so uh, I was able to roll with some of the things which bowled other people over. I mean, just tiny things. You know, going to a government building to try and get a, you know, a licence and you're still there six hours later or crazy traffic or, <laughs> you know, I tell, I tell you, I should write a book, but I should do it under a synonym because some of some of the things you saw. Um, but but then you'd have some really some great highs. Mm. Um, the, the the a gentleman called Jamal Fakro, who was the managing partner of the Bahrain practice, who I uh, you know have tremendous respect for. He knew how to celebrate success, mm-hmm. and so when we would have a uh, you know a, a big win. He would pull people together. We would break bread. You know, we would just in, enjoy what we'd achieved together. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that's just stuck with me. That'll stick with me for life. I will always stop and say to my team, you know, hey, what, don't, don't forget what you just did then. That was an amazing thing and let's, let's celebrate it. So you were, you were there many years, I think seven in total, weren't you? Yeah. yeah, and then you you came back to Melbourne. If I remember at the time, you you came back to a contract role in Melbourne for KPMG because they didn't have a, a role at the level that you'd been at um, previously. And and how how did you feel at that time in your career? You'd had this great success in in the Middle East. Um, you're now back in Melbourne, completely different culture, and you're in a contract job. How were you feeling at that moment about where your career was going? It was a really tough year. So I was stepping, I was the, the, the acting head of markets in Victoria for um, uh, you know, a lovely lady who'd gone on a maternity leave. Uh, and, but it was, it was a holding pattern, really, because I was managing her portfolio of responsibilities. Plus, I had 
they they may well have remembered me as Richard from seven years ago, where Richard has had you know transformed himself, and so it was it was very it was a frustrating time. But maybe that's what I needed to to move on to another career in another business. So it might be twenty something years <laughs> with with KPMG, right? So sometimes you need a little bit of a push. Yeah. Uh, but even at that time, um, I worked for Rob Bazzani. He's just a wonderful chairman, and he was so open. And he said, "Just you've, you've seen, you've travelled to all these countries. You've seen amazing things. Roll it out." Go and challenge people. So I did that. And one of the areas was in technology and around contract management and, and the innovation around the pursuits process, which I had seen in other parts of the world, which mm. then led to conversations with Plexus. Yeah. I mean, I remember at the time when I was working with Plexus to help find them ahead of BD, and they were relatively small at the time. You were coming from this big sort of behemoth of KPMG. You were really interested. I remember being quite surprised that, that you know, because you'd had this illustrious, massive career and you and I started talking about you possibly joining Plexus. You were really gung-ho for that opportunity. You were really enthusiastic. What was it about them or the job or that moment in time that just really that momentum for you got you going to, 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 to take on that challenge with them? I think it was three things. One is I'd already been pursuing business opportunities to actually create my own business with a technology focus to it. Mm -hmm. And so this seemed, oddly enough, less risky because I was joining a business that had, you know, were, were seven or eight years into their technology um, journey and, you know, they, they were well established. The, the second thing is I wanted to run my own PNL. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a business owner and that, that opportunity was presented to me. And the third was the people. You know, I, I was so impressed by um, Anna Mahood, who was the um, general manager at the time, who um, I was going to report through to, just a fabulous professional. Uh, oddly enough, ex-Axiom, um, which is where I've, I've, where I've now arrived. Um, you know, Andy Mellett was this great entrepreneur and you know, um, inspirational guy. So so it was. I just felt like I was had, had really landed on my feet. Mm. working in technology, in the law, with super smart There's quite a bit to observe here. Firstly, his experience re-entering a market he had left and trying to adjust after what he calls his reinvention and subsequently having a really tough year. His time spent wondering what next, when, interestingly, his next opportunity was right in front of him. He received great advice from the partner who said, Take what you've learned and roll it out here. This is advice we give to candidates when they are feeling stuck in a role, but are working for a firm that needs their skills. Sometimes you have to remind the business what you can do, what you can deliver, what ideas you have. The next ideal role could actually be one you have to create for yourself, either at your current firm, for yourself, or another business. And it's not uncommon for moments like this to be the genesis of an independent consulting career or taking on a different type of role to the ones you've held before. Several of your roles up until that point had been sort of startup. Even though you were at KPMG, when you went to KPMG Middle East, it was a startup function. You were creating, you were creating function. Then you went to Plexus and you were very much charged with helping them build and grow something. 
how do you attack startup roles? Like what advice do you give to people who um, are faced with going into an organization and starting up something from scratch? How do you approach that? That's a great question. Uh, I, I was in the Middle East, I had, I had wonderful sponsors. So the head of the managing, management consulting group uh, and the managing partner. And we were able to prioritise, you know, what could get done. You, you can't boil the ocean. I had these 20-odd partners who, who had 20 different visions of how, you know, I could grow out the market's function. Uh, and, and so we were able to say, no, this, if we can just do these two or three things and do them well, mm-hmm. then that can become the beachhead through which uh, other things can be tackled. Um, I should also note, I mean, people were sometimes wondering why I stuck at that job for seven years. That's a long time, right? But it evolved. And so we fixed one problem, then we fixed another problem, then we built this, we built that. And my encouragement to people at the beginning of the, I have met people who six months in, they go, okay, I need my next big challenge. And I'm like, well, what have you actually achieved? (laughs) No offense, but what have you achieved? You know, and and because, you know, it's, it, Great, great things take time to build out, and and that's that's just the way that the world works. And so, um, I think being able to stick at it uh, and partner with good people who have got your back because you don't win every day. And I and I've had you know, and I think about the opportunity it places in our axiom. That's that's been the same story. I'm in my fifth year, in in terms of running the secondment business. Uh, and I did say to Andy, you know, when I joined, I said, you might like me year one, you know, a little bit. Year two, you'll like me a lot. Year three, I'll be indispensable. And uh, a bit of a brag there. But what I, was, what I was really trying to do was buy myself some time, right? <laughs> Get through year <laughs> one. <laughs> but I think it was also about saying to him, I'll, I'll just, I'll, every, just all these little 2% of, of improvements. And so I, I think startups are about sticking at it. It's just sticking at it because you'll just keep getting better and better. Transformation is is a big part now of professional services. I mean, they're tra- they're transforming at a rapid rate, both on the legal side, the consulting side, the engineering side. Every single business that I work with in professional services is going through a major change, and the people who work in sales, marketing, business development are often at the forefront or very involved in that. So the roles are very um, transformational in their nature, which is uncomfortable for some people. Where do you get the energy from to keep going in a role which you know that every six or 12 months is going to be different to the role that you started? I, I think I'd be strugg- I would struggle if it wasn't different. I think there can be a Groundhog Day element to, to, to sales roles uh, and that you're, you're wanting to build something, you want to craft something. And so part of it is about wanting to create you know, value for your clients you really care for. And so, and when they are benefiting from what you're helping them and you you know, it's, it's that human side of it, part of it is about um, the opportunities that you create for your team. And that can be really fulfilling, right? If you see someone develop and, you know, develop a skill they didn't have or succeed and you can share in their success. Uh, but... Uh, you know, one of the great partners I worked for in the Middle East, when asked that question, he talked about having medium and short-term and long-term goals. And he said if he didn't have that, he couldn't get through the week because some of his weeks were horrendous. 
-hmm. but he was able to look ahead and go, but in six months' time, and you know, I would have solved this problem, I would have built out this function and taken tremendous pride and satisfaction from that. Mm. And so I, I do feel like the most my observation is the most successful people I've worked for have had a vision of where they wanted to take their career, take take the organization that they were responsible for, you know, for helping to grow and the people around them, they're taking them somewhere, right? Mm. And I do wonder about um, how our, our phones can steal our ability to stop and think and, and wonder, ponder, right, mm. how to make the world a better place mm. because you've got to be able to have that vision of where you're heading personally but also where you're wanting to take the business, you know, where, where you're working. Mm. You Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes loads of sense. And you, and, and you also changed sector. When you left KPMG, you went to Plexus, which was um, really focused on the legal industry. And you'd never worked in the legal industry before. And it's a very complex industry. How did you um, uh, approach the change of sector? What did you do to get up to speed with that sector? Because we have a lot of people who change sectors or want to change sectors in their career. And they're all the question I always get asked is, how do I get up to speed when I change a different sector? So what did you do? The, the Plexus business uh, uh, leverages the challenger sale, which is really based around um, the sales model, which is based around uh, starting client conversations with insights into what their key challenges and issues are likely to be, which is drawn from research which they had collated. That then enabled you to have uh, conversations with clients that really got to their key challenges, what was you know, keeping them awake at night, and then listening. Because, you know, these these can be, so, so you know, my core client base are uh, general counsels and heads of legal, you know, at, um, in, in-house legal teams in, in, in government, private sector across Australia. They can be quite isolated, those roles. So if you can um, talk to them about what others are focusing in on, in terms of their, you know, the big challenges that they're solving, bring that insight, but also listen and be pastoral almost in the way that you engage them uh, and show empathy, that you, then you're, you're, you're someone who they can really lean on. And then you don't have, to, not that you have all the solutions in play, right? Um, often it's about connecting them to others who can help or sharing them, you know, solutions that others have discovered but I, I, it would be an exaggeration to say I did six months worth of planning, stepping into that first role, and you know started a law degree. Or <laughs> no, it was really um, coming up with a, a clear roadmap of what, how they go about their business, and what that, what's probably holding them back, how others are solving for that, and then being able to share that insight in, in quite a specific way that then led to me constantly expand, as they answered, expanding my understanding of their business. So, so quite time intensive from a sales process. Yeah, but there, there is, uh, there's, there's formulas that you can draw on mm-hmm. to enable you to do that. Uh, and often those formulas are really helpful because they they structure how you ask questions, but then you can spend more of your time listening to what they've actually said. Was, was and, this... and that engaged with that? You go. Yeah, you go. <laughs> oh, well, and it's it's in listening that you actually 
can then synthesize all of these different conversations that you have and you have genuine knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so you're bringing that insight into those relationships. And yeah, of course, it's time intensive, but what else would you be doing? Mm-hmm. You know, other than spending time with, with your clients, talking to them about their business. I mean, what, what better use of your time and, and the, the power that that, that um, can generate in terms of your ability to offer value and help them with their business. There's no doubt listening to this interview that Richard has been successful, both for himself, but more importantly for the businesses that have hired him by being client-facing and strategically listening. If there are any BD or salespeople listening to this who still have to convince their firms to let them be client-facing, then the last two minutes should convince them. I love it when he says, but what else would you be doing? The power of listening to clients enables you to add more value to their business. At this point, you'd worked in sales with KPMG for 17 plus years, and then you went to um, Plexus. You talk about the challenger sales model. Was that the first time you'd come across a robust sales methodology? No, I was Miller-Hyman trained with, with, uh, with KPMG, and I, and I um, you know, facilitated that methodology in training programs to partners and directors across the Middle East and Southeast and South Asia. So, and it's interesting because they had two different approaches. You know, people can be a Miller-Hyman person or they can be a challenger person. I actually see the best in both methodologies. Mm. Uh, and all, all, all we're talking about is structured thinking. So how can you create uh, structures around how to bettering, you know, find value how to articulate that, how to build relationships. You know, it, it, it's all, a lot of this overlaps and there's a lot of it. I was going to say it's not rocket science, but I, I shouldn't do that. Should I, should I Graham? Uh, um, but I didn't find them as competing strategies or anything like that. It's just different ways to have thoughtful conversations. What um, You've worked in various professional services firms and professional services have become a lot more sales focus and sales orientated what culture do you think makes for a good sales environment in professional services i i feel like um if you can measure something if mm-hmm. you can hold people be very clear about what it is you need them to do and you can measure their performance so that they know what they need to do uh then you've got the <laughs> You've got the, the, the building blocks of a great sales culture. And, you know, Salesforce, you know, which is what, what the system Axiom deploys, really enables that. So that when we think about the, the how, how do you measure your return on your investment of your time and energy of your sales team? Well, you, you're able to track their contribution to the pipeline. So did they originate um, a lead, an opportunity? Did they, you know, have they actually met that client? Have they... Um, created a qualified opportunity out of that meeting, have they converted it? You know, so, so if you've got uh, a dashboard where you can track that and look at everyone's contribution, then there's no hiding. Mm. And what's more important is that people can be recognised for their efforts. Um, I do feel like there's some consistency, whatever your methodology might be, if you deploy it consistently, then everyone's speaking the same language mm. and that's super helpful. Um, but then the, the final thing would be how much time are they actually spending with their clients? Mm. 
And so that's and which which is how those how those metrics can help you. Mm. They can actually very clearly now. I mean, I remember 10, 15 years ago, it was very difficult to work out who met who and how and when and how many emails have they sent out, how many phone calls have they made. That's all trackable, right? Yeah. And 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 not not in not in a big stick way, but just trying to help understand where people are deploying their time. Mm. Now, you spend a lot of time with clients and with general counsel in the legal industry. So uh, I'm really curious to know what your thoughts are or what your predictions are for the future of the legal industry, because it's undergoing so much change and there's so much commentary around it. It would be um, a loss not to ask you that question. And it's it's been driven by technology, but also the disruption from the, the, the epidemic and how that's still playing out in terms of where people are, you know, how they're going about their jobs and where they're working from. So, it, so we've come out of this this very busy and frantic and time of great change, but surely it's going to ramp up, right? So, I, I, it's really around technology and AI and how that's going to be deployed to support, um, you know, in, you know, in, my, in my case, in-house legal teams, surely it's going to shake things up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's funny, we've been watching this, you know, in, in the, the Plexus space for years, thinking, well, you know, the technology has promised a lot but often delivered very little. But I do feel like we're on the cusp of something quite significant mm-hmm. in terms of how people's jobs are going to be delivered. And we're moving from from, you know, how they review documents and process documents to how they actually make judgments and decisions and how that uh, how that can be supported. I don't think people's jobs are going away. I'm not suggesting that. It's more about what skills then become more valuable. Mm. So if you don't need to um, to hold a whole lot of information in your head anymore because you, you there, there's, you know, that the computers can support that, then what is valuable? What What is going to be harder for... An AI, AI function to to deliver on, and it's people skills, right? So it's going to be the ability to create a network, engage people, you know, present your personality, um, sell, lead people, be inspirational. All these people type elements mm. um, that not were not always promoted on. Which I mean, they they were in the mix. But I feel like those sales skills and leadership skills are going to be uh, even more valued going forward. Do you think that we that, that professional services are investing enough in um, developing leadership skills and sales skills and client facing skills? I don't. I, I the short answer is I don't know. I, I my suspicion is that. Uh, the industry can be late adopters, uh, and you know, there's we could talk all day about why that might be. So it's um, so, so there it could be that some of this change is thrust upon uh, legal services rather than originated from. Mm-hmm. And so I would really be encouraging. And I, and I, look, all of the all of the the the, the leaders that I speak to, um, and in terms of GCs, are, are thinking about. How they can deliver more value, transform their team, transform their teams, deploy new technology, right? So they're interested and they're turning up to thought leadership forums to explore that. Mm. And so, so I'm really confident that uh, that there will be a faster adoption 
of new technologies going forward. And but not just the technologies. A lot of what change management about is not so much about the technology, but how you 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 um, collaborate mm-hmm. with your peers and other business you know, business units to get things done. Mm. And uh, and I and I do feel I'm I'm really optimistic mm. that uh, uh, and you know, certainly if I think about my business um, Axiom, how we're working with our clients you know, right across the world to, uh, to to help them think about doing things differently and to share the insights about what people are doing in different markets. There's a huge appetite for that. How do you think it will affect careers? I mean, you've had a very brilliant career so far, and 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 and. Um, a very motivational one for people listening. How do you think it's, what do you think of the career opportunities for other sales professionals who are sort of at the beginning of their career? I think it's the perfect time to be in a sales role. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. I feel like you're going to get so much support, right? The, the, the bane of a salesperson's life is the amount of admin that they can get clawed back into by but people who need to collect data, well, that's that's disappearing, and and you you can really focus on what often are your great strengths, which is connecting to people. Mm. I think it's a wonderful time to be in a sales role. I feel like the word sales is now you know it, it's it's a word that people embrace, mm. right? And uh, uh, because ultimately revenue growth is is critical to to the survival and and making sure organisations flourish. Mm. So, no, I, I think it's a great time to be in sales. It, it's it's going to be a time of great change and, you know, um, but this generation of young leaders coming through, young professionals coming through, who are better placed <laughs> in terms of their ability to, you know, to, to just roll with it and embrace new ideas and different ways of doing things. I do wonder whether the the, the people working remotely it's it's deprived people of that opportunity to be coached and led by others and mirror mm. off others. Mm. Uh, and so I'm I'm hopeful that we arrive at a happy medium where people are in the office a little bit more and given that opportunity to to because I've you know I've worked for some amazing people and I've just been uh, um, I've tried to clone myself of them. Mm. In terms of how they go about their jobs, and if I but if I didn't see it, right, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to do that. I can't. You can't just send someone an email. <laughs> you actually have to watch how they answer a tricky question and and uh, you know present the perfect answer. Mm. You um you've learned a lot in your career. It sounds and 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 you continue to learn. Thinking back to when you left university. Um, what advice would you have given yourself at that point about the career you're about to have? Well, I think two things. One is navigate towards positive people. Now, the amount of time in my life I've I've wasted <laughs> trying to, uh, you know, to support people who have a, a negative view or don't want to get something done or you know, don't want to be there. But then on the other hand, how much I've been inspired by people, you know, who are charismatic and want to make the world a better place. So I, I wish I'd spent less time with people who um, were just, who weren't taking me forward. Mm. Um, the other thing, which is more positive, is I've been so open. I've, I've just said, you know, bring it on. <laughs> and, and that's been... Um, 
I, I, I'm sure I've stepped through doors that others others may not have. Yeah. I do remember going to the Middle East, people saying, what on earth are you doing? You're living in this the world's greatest city, working for the, you know, most wonderful organisation. Um, but yet that led to such an amazing opportunity for myself and my family. Mm. Well, it's been fantastic spending time with you. You said that one of the pieces of advice you would give yourself is spend time with positive people. We've certainly enjoyed spending half an hour with one of the most positive people in professional services. I've always enjoyed our conversations. It's fantastic to see you. And thank you so much for sharing your career with us today. Thank you, Grant.